This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. But Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, Professor Ward Scott here in the, of all cases, here we're at the Steve Spurrier Podcast Grill location, and we are always paying great attention to our Melton Law Studio support. And, you know, Melton Law is the only official law firm partner the Florida Gators won't back down. And, of course, our great friends at Crime Prevention, cpss.net. If you need any security for your premise or any of your possessions, contact uh, John Pastore or Randy Elrad at Crime Prevention. Great friends. And our mugshots maintained by Maurice T. McDaniel. Not 45,000 hits a month for people looking at the mugshots to see what in the world is going on in our culture and our society. So uh, we appreciate you paying attention to wardscottfiles.com website. That's where we archive every single show. I checked it out the other day. The shows go back to 2012. There are about 10 years of archived library there of conversations. And today is a really special day. I can't reveal everything to you because of a lot of things possibly can be happening from here on with our good guest and yours truly working together to really stand together and stand tall and protect America's values and protect America's uh, future. So I've got with me today a great guest who we've been talking quite a while about doing a show together is our former Congressman Ted Yoho. You know, Ted Yoho did something that most Congress people, if I may be politically correct, don't do. He term limited himself. Is that some <laughs> form of madness? I mean, most of the time these people want a gravy train for life for crying out loud. And Ted says, no, Moss, I don't, I don't understand it. Nobody gets it. He was doing a great job. He's by profession a veterinarian, large animal veterinarian, and I'm always teasing him. I'm afraid of the speak uh, where he's speaking. Somebody's going to hold up a sign that says, "You kill my cow." But uh, wouldn't that be an interesting political wrinkle? So, <laughs> listen, we've got a great show today, and uh, this is a great resource. A real gentleman, and uh, I'm so proud to uh, have him here with me and to know him, and hopefully work more with him in the future. Ted. Welcome to Ward Scott Files, sir. <laughs> Ward, I appreciate the opportunity to be on, and I want to congratulate you for being on since 2012, because if you'll remember, looking back, that's the year I got elected to Congress. I started my campaign in 2010, 2011, and uh, I remember when you went on there, so congratulations for the longevity. You know, Ted, that's funny you bring that up, because I was looking through the archives, and your name pops up as a guest on the show way back when, right after you became a public official. I'm thinking, my golly, is time go by that fast? That was what I was thinking. Uh, here we are again today, 10 years here later. And uh, think of the wealth of experience that this gentleman has to share with us. And that's what we really want to begin to share with our audience and our nation. Because, you know, we all too often are hearing only one side of the story. We know, in fact, I have an old friend I used to do the show with who was my sidekick, James Bozeman, who was uh, in radio forever and ever. And he will just come out and tell you uh, if you or got your opinion from the 
public media in any form, then it's wrong. <laughs> and and that's that's really a, a, not too far off. Uh, it's either misdirected or un, you know uh, somehow not fairly. Uh, we try to counter that here on the Ward Scott Files. So, Ted, you know, you were there for, I visited you one time in, in D.C. You were very, very hospitable, as always. A real Southern gentleman there. We miss that in the, in the world of manners these days. Um, what did you take away from that experience that you might have learned from that we can talk about? Well, I t- you know, it's interesting for being there for eight years and never been in politics prior to going in. So I went in really green, but I had term limits, and I'm glad you didn't term limit yourself in broadcasting, <laughs> uh, and I don't recommend it for you. Um, b- but term limiting myself, I had a beginning date and I had an end date, and so it pushed me to do more things. And now that I'm out, uh, been out for two years, when you look back into that bubble, you have a whole different perspective of what Washington is, and you can understand how it doesn't work because they're so isolated. Uh, a case in point, one of the representatives, uh, one of my colleagues from New York, in fact, she said that oh it, yeah, it, I remember it, the story. it would be good if gas got to $10 a gallon. Yeah. All right, now if you live in a metropolitan area where you bicycle everywhere to go to the next, you know, somewhere or take a cab or an Uber or you're on the metro or, you know, something like that, gas is not a big deal. But when you live in Putnam County or out in Newberry and you have to drive 30 miles for your job, gas is expensive. And at $10 a gallon, nobody's going to go to work because they can't afford to. They're going backwards. And so... When, when they live in that bubble in Washington, D.C., they're so isolated on what we go through on a daily basis to make our families work, to make our businesses work. And that's where they are out of touch with, with reality. And that's why it's so important. If you have a legislator up there, and I prided myself that we came back to the district a lot, and we heard and we still hear it, we saw you more as a representative than we've ever seen anybody else that represented us in the district. And it wasn't just one county. We went to all 13 counties in the beginning, and then we got redistricted, and we had six counties. And um, I think that's so important that these people, when they're not up in D.C., they're here working the district, hearing those things that aren't working. Well, you know, it's a very interesting point you made about the gas because, as you know, being a rural guy uh, with a small cattle farm, uh, trying to hang on to the rural way of life, which is where I got my formative values. You know, I was left on the farms during World War II to be raised by the people, while the men, my father and all, uncles and all, went off to war. It never left me. You know, uh, we would get up in the morning, drink the milk from the cows, and the cakes were made and the butter with the uh, sure. animals on the property, and uh, corn and everything else. And, uh, and right now, one of the biggest threats to the real way of life is the price of fuel. And this idea that you want to deliberately drive up the cost of fossil fuel in order to convert everybody to other forms of energy kill the rural life. And to my way of thinking, the real state's people have come from the rural life because of the respect they learn from nature. I can tell you right now from being in the countryside, you don't tell nature what to do. Nature tells you what it's going to do, and it won't necessarily... Uh, be the way you want it to go. So you have to adjust. It makes you humble. I mean, it really does. But if you move to the city, uh, what humility do you have? I mean, you're governed by the artificial world of machinery and, and, and air conditioning, and you don't know your neighbor, even though you may live a, a door away. 
in the rural society, as Ted knows, it's connectivity. You must know your neighbor because you need each other. As an old country boy once told me one time, Ted, Ward, you ain't never got what all you need. <laughs> <laughs> and I was borrowing a box blade from him. <laughs> I hear a lot of people right now say, what's a box blade? I know, what's a box blade? <laughs> That's a funny thing. Well, you brought up something. I mean, there's two points there. One of them was city versus the country. And I had a guy, and, you know, it's funny because we made the decision to run for Congress when I was pregnancy checking cattle <laughs> out in Newberry. Uh, at, you might at, tell with, them how you do that, with, too. With Trip Norfleet. <laughs> I don't know if they want to see the visual right now. <laughs> but he says the difference between city folks and country folks is country folks just handle it. So if you've got a, a gate that's broke or something like that, you go to the store, a water pipe, you go to the store, hardware store, you buy the piece, you come home and you fix it. If you're in the city, most time you're in an HOA or something, you call the management company to come out and fix it. And you don't have a clue how to do that. And I'll give you a case in point. Um, when I got to D.C., Carolyn and I wanted to paint our one color on a wall. And so we had to buy the paint ourselves. And we could wait for the Capitol architect to send out their crew to paint it. <laughs> but we had the paint. We got it on Friday. We are going to paint it on Sunday. And so my chief of staff, uh, Omar Rashida at the time, he goes, you guys are actually going to paint that? <laughs> and I said, yeah, and he's in his mid-20s. Um, and he goes, can I come in and, and watch you? And I said, you can come in to wow. help us. So we're up there painting, and he goes, wow, I can't believe you know how to do that. I says, you've never painted a wall? He goes, <laughs> no, my dad was a doctor, and we hired everything out. So that's the difference in that mindset and growing up on the farm and those values. And I don't think you have to grow up on the farm, but those values are things that we need to take, uh, take with us and pass on to our children, and they're missing today. And, you know, the other thing that's such a, um, a bad narrative right now is uh, all the rap you hear about racism. There may be uh, isolation and suspicion of each other in the city, but it's not so in the country because, as you know, Right across the, the, the fence from you is a black farmer. Uh, you guys are suffering the same uh, kind of uh, humility, if you will, from the hands of nature. You need each other. Uh, I'm surrounded by folks who, who work the land just like we, we do, and they have the same lament, by the way, Ted, that, that they sure we do. have. They can't get any young people to help. They can't get any young people. And I'm glad you brought this up. I, I wasn't planning on going down this, but I spoke at the REC. We don't plan on the Ward Scott files. <laughs> That's good. Well, there's no agenda. Um, I spoke at the REC in Putnam County, and the race issue came up. And I had never heard the word America is ripe or rot with systemic racism until I heard Steny Hoyer, who's been there for, wait, he's been there as long as Nancy Pelosi, and he's from um, Maryland, Massachusetts, I believe. And he was saying on the House floor, and this was about a year, six months before I got out, how America's rot with racism. Now, I'm 67. You're, you're probably a couple years older. <laughs> Just a couple. <laughs> <laughs> but we remember and when racism was before the Civil Rights Movement. Remember segregation. And, and I brought this up in this REC meeting, and it was a mixed crowd. All demographics were in there, all the age groups in there. It was really neat because there was parents <clears throat> with their young kids, and there were older people with their grandkids. And I brought this up, and I says, how many people remember America <clears throat> prior to the civil rights? You know, 10 per 20% of the hands went up. And I says, when I was in South Florida, 
My wife worked at a dentist's office, and I said, colored drinking fountain, white drinking fountain. Colored entrance, white entrance. I said, how many people remember that? And I says, we went through the civil rights movement. We went through the riots. We went through the fights. In fact, I got suspended twice for uh, racial riots in high school. So we've come out of that, and we're a lot better country. We've grown. And I asked the people in the audience, do you think we're systemic racism today compared to back then, or are we a lot better off? And it was over. Everybody says, oh, we're so much better off. So your perspective, if you're a young person today, and you have the media, you have the elites like the Hoyers and the Democratic elites saying America's a racist country, this and that, um, you're going to believe that because these people are in a position of authority or power or you're supposed to believe them. But when you put it in perspective and you look, it's kind of like me leaving D.C. and looking back in there. When you look back at the perspective of where we were in the 50s and 60s, we are so much better as a nation. This party, the Democratic Party or the Marxist Party, you know, right. I don't yeah, want to offend your college. listeners, but that's where no, I... No, no, the listeners, if they're, but, they're, grown, they're students, and they're students, listen. Well, they're, they need to study history if that offends them. Their whole mindset is um, they want to keep this generation and take them back to where we were, and we fought so hard to get away from there, and we've become a better nation because of those struggles as we have in the past. You know, you talk about... Um, uh, some issues with young folks. You know, I taught for 40 years. I was a, a college professor. I mean, I've probably taught, oh, I don't know, 20, 30,000 students. It's amazing. I, I lost fingers and toes. And But, um, you know, one time you probably recall Representative Billy Matthews. Yeah. Billy Matthews was a, I think he was there, served under four presidents, I think, in mm -hmm. Congress. He finally got, because of redistricting, a John, a, a He Don didn't Fuquay. believe in term limit. Yeah, Don Fuquay got in there. But Billy, when he got out of the uh, government, he came out to the college. I invited him out as a guest speaker. I wanted the students to see somebody like him. He was a farmer. And <laughs> he came, he went to my research class, and the first thing he said to them, I know they never understood, Ted. He said the first thing he says, the best thing you can do for your country is buy five acres of land. And they didn't know what he was talking about. And when, you know, Billy left and, and I was thanked him for going by and, you know, back next class we had, I said, how many of y'all understood that? Well, they didn't know that. They didn't know they just that had. I said, here's what he means. When you own a piece of the country, when you own a piece of the neighborhood, you're vested, you care. When you see a neighborhood watch sign, that means those people in that neighborhood own their homes and they know when there's a stranger walking through the neighborhood. And so true. When you go abstract and when you start renting and when you start living in areas where uh, you don't own anything except maybe stocks and assets and things of that nature, a whole personality changes. Oh, it does. Everything changes. Yeah. You know, it really does. And I think that's wise that that guy said that, Mr. Matthews. And um, the other thing is, you've got five acres of land you're going to tend to it a little bit better. You're going to watch over it. You might start a garden, and you may learn where produce comes from and grow your own. And, you know, we've gotten away from those traditional things that America was built on. And for the people, it's all right if you don't do those things, but you should never forget how we got to where we are. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about, and I know Ted is aware of this, um, and um, uh, Governor DeSantis just sort of... Uh, direct us out of attention in terms of the curriculum, and that is back to civics and back to some of the right. uh, study of the values that formed the country. And 
much of those values, of course, came out of agrarian principles. And uh, agrarianism is all but, I don't even know if it's a memory today. So few people know what so it was. I would know. have to agree with you. Yeah. And I was on the Ag Committee for eight years up there in D.C., and, and so many of those people, I mean, they, they think the government should be running the programs. They think the supermarkets and all that is where everything comes from. But they forget the work that's done to get it to that point. And that agrarian society, um, it's something I promoted. And, you know, up in Congress, I talked about, I think everybody should have five acres. So it's interesting <laughs> that that guy said that. Because I think it's so true to get dirt under your fingernails. It's okay. And, I mean, study after study has shown that kids that are isolated and use, you know, the germicide on their hand, they don't get out in the environment, their immune system is not as strong as people from the country. Oh, I know. I it's know. so true. I mean, well, that's has been coming through in the COVID studies. Sure has. One of the things that's happened in a result of the COVID studies is um, by isolating the kids, we've weakened their immune system paradoxically mm -hmm. yeah. rather than strengthened. And so they come out of the isolation, they're catching everything under the sun, and been, the natural immune system's not had a chance to go to war to protect them. So um, there's much to be said for fresh air. You know, we're having a great talk here. Ted and I share a lot of the same values and a lot of the same experiences. I'm a, I'll go back a little farther than he does, but, um, you know. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. And, uh, but, you know, we're talking about uh, raising ourselves uh, with correct principles that stead in you in good stead all your life. Um, and these are many things that are built on just hard work. And, um, uh, you know, another thing about uh, agreements, uh, Ted, uh, you know, when I talked about the borrowing the box blade, by the way, a box blade is a big apparatus you drag behind the tractor to, to uh, in my case, I was going to um, straighten my lane out and, and, and uh, smooth out some of the lime rock that yep. was on it. And um, one of the things you learn right away that this gentleman who's passed now, I'd rest his soul, named Robert, one of the other guys told me, you know, Robert will loan you anything but only if you always bring it back and he doesn't have to ask you to bring it back. And so what I'm saying about this, that's all a handshake agreement. There's no piece of paper that I have to sign with Robert or had to sign with Robert to use his box plate. It was just understood that he would provide it and I would return it. And if I didn't, then I'd never be able to borrow from him again. Right. You know. Well, I think that what that points to is personal responsibility. And that's the thing today that I think is really missing because you have one political party saying, whatever happened to you, it's not your fault. You're the victim. Instead of saying, well, let's look at the cause and effect. You know, if you take personal responsibility, life's a lot easier. And um, Robert, you know, he was absolutely right. And growing up, working, you know, in my early days construction, but I worked agriculture since I was about 15, you get around the farmers and the ranchers, a handshake, that's your word, that's your bond, and you didn't need a piece of paper signed. If you told somebody and you shook on it, that was it. And unfortunately, in today's society, you know, we become so legalistic or such a, uh, a society that's wanting to sue, you know, and get you out of something that you should have taken responsibility for. You know, and the word also homestead meant so much then because yeah. there was a home. Yeah. It was a home that several generations lived on. You could go back home. Uh, once uh, we got into this whole idea of, of um, assets being liquid and abstract, we started viewing the land as real estate. And I know so many, and I was in real estate. I had a broker's license, and I sort of adapted to the modern way of life, if you will. 
But I was always aware there were a lot of guys I was working with who had no problem moving from house to house if they could make a profit on the house. Mm -hmm. It was all about the profit. You know, and I'm thinking, don't you have a home? You know? <laughs> and I, I don't know if there's a corollary to this or not, but a lot of them had um, been married several times. Yeah. You know? I don't know. You know, I've It's just an observation. That. I don't make any more of that than that. But it was a, a philosophy of life that everything here was to be made temporary. Mm -hmm. And uh, even their relationships, I guess. And, yeah. and it doesn't seem that anybody suffered from it. The other party didn't necessarily disagree. They saw it the same way. <laughs> but, and I was always amazed by that. But uh, Ted and I are very interested in talking together with you because you don't hear voices like ours very often. And some of the giants of the rural life that I consider are real states people. I'm politically correct, if you'll notice, Ted, or try to be. Uh, people like E.T. York and mm -hmm. um, just a giant statesman here. And once upon a time... Uh, the Ag Department at the University of Florida was uh, absolutely the place from which the leaders came in administration. They sure and, were. And and other thing that people have to remember is these are land University of Florida land grant institution. Uh, you know the people gave the land, if you will, to for education of the people. And the other thing that's on my uh, a sore spot with me right now is this whole rush to be number one as an institution. And I'm going to use the University of Florida as an example, bring in all these people from outside the community and at the expense of the community. In my day, if you got a gentleman's C from high school, you went to Florida. Yeah. You know? And if you got a gentleman's C from Florida, you went out and got a job and came back and were alumni, and you gave back to Florida. Right. And I, Well, I think that goes back to the, the way the families are today, you know? Back in the old days, you took care of your elders and, you know, everybody had that responsibility. Then as people moved away from the farm and the homestead goes away, you, you kind of turn it over to the uh, hospice or the, the elder care facilities and the family's been removed from it or allowed themselves to be removed from it. And I th think it's the same way in your analogy with the University of Florida. It, it is a land-grant university that Abraham Lincoln started at, and I think it was in 18... I forget the date, but it, that's under his administration is when the land grants came in, and they have served America well and the communities very well with those programs. We're going to be, uh, let's check the time with my production people. We're about 10 minutes away from a break, and uh, at, uh, at the break, I'm going to set up my chat room just to see what's on your all's minds. Uh, as we're talking with our, I think it was four terms, was it not? Eight years? Yeah, eight years. Eight four years, terms. Uh, former. I don't like the word former. He's still the congressman. Once you're a congressman, you're always a congressman. Okay. I don't know if that's it. true with congressmen, but it's true as a veterinarian. I'll always be a veterinarian. You're always a veterinarian. <laughs> you still know how to, we're not going to go into how he was testing for pregnancy on the cattle, but. Uh, well, can we go back to that topic on civics? Yeah. Yeah, sure. All right. It's, it, it's just not being taught in school as well as it used to be probably in our generations. I'm probably a generation after you. I was up, in a, a small rural county, and I was getting gas in my vehicle, and this was when I was in, a, in Congress. I had a white shirt on and a tie, but it was, you know, I had it loosened. <laughs> and a guy is at the gas pump, and he goes, wow, you look pretty important. He goes, are you a, are you a county commissioner? And I, I said, um, no. I says, I'm your U.S. congressman. He goes, is, is that kind of like a commissioner? <laughs> I know. And I said, it's kind of like a commissioner, but not that important. <laughs> and I'm thinking... Well, in ways, you're right. Well, I'm thinking, wow, civics is not being taught. And I got chastised because I made a public comment um, about voting 
regulations or rules. And I says, I've got some what would be viewed as radical ideas. And of course, you know what the media does, especially the Gainesville Sun, sorry, if, yeah. if they're going to poke you. They, they went after me and said, Ted, Yoho thinks there should be an aptitude test. <laughs> well, my test is, who's your president? Who's the vice president? How long does the president serve? Who's your state senators? How long do they serve? Just the basic civics questions that somebody coming into our country wouldn't become a naturalized citizen, they need to be able to answer those things. But yet we don't require it or we don't teach it in our schools anymore. You know, it's so interesting because being the Wards God Files, uh, I get asked a lot of questions, Ted. I bet you do. And I get, you know, I suppose that I'm supposed to be hope, the, the repository of all the right answers, you know. But I do try to find the right answers and share them with us. We are today, you know, our opinions, of course, we think are probably pretty close to the right answers. But um, I'm amazed at people who, I got asked this today. Now, these school board candidates, um, who do I... Who do I vote for there now? They have no clue, you know. And we got this battle coming up about single-member districts and whether or not, you know, right. it's a, it's a. You talk about blank stares, people. I mean, these are people with educations, with, you know, contribute to the society and the culture. Don't have a clue. I had a gentleman say yesterday, something called it a city council. I said it's not a city council, it's a city commission, and think it was the county commission. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, a grown person with an important business here. Right. Now, how do you do this? What do you do? You're not going to get it through the newspapers. You're not going no, to get there. Not, no, absolutely so not. So it's what a kind of it's, it's it's kind of the light we keep trying to keep lit here on the Ward Scott Files is that by bringing in people like you and by uh, being on a, a voice. And it's amazing that this voice has been going for ten years in some form or another. Um, you know, keep the keep the light burning because. Um, uh, they're not getting it anywhere else. And if anything we need, by the way, is we need more of you to help us. We need more of you to uh, tune in to us and spread the word. And, uh, of course, Ted and I have uh, some plans of discussing how to maybe make that happen bigger. But um, there's a certain need to – and, I, I, Ted, I set this up since I was a professor, um, albeit not a liberal one. So, you know, how kind of I was <laughs> always in, you know, little discussions in the hallway. But um, – <laughs> I set it up as a classroom, and my audience are my students, and and basically that's really the truth. I mean, we're teaching now. Uh, you're seeing us team teach. You're seeing us lecture, if you will, or discuss. Because one of the things I did in the classroom was I brought in guest speakers like Billy Matthews, you know, and got out of the way and let them talk. Sure. And and um, sometimes it went over the people's heads. Sometimes it didn't, but it was there. And another thing about you were talking about a moment ago, looking back. You have to have a certain distance on an event quite often in order to put its emphasis in perspective. What You're was important right. and what wasn't. You're so right. You know, we talk about we the people. I can tell you in Washington, it's not we the people. It's we the people in the power structure up there. And they have their committees. Uh, I was a conferee to the ag, the, the farm bill, uh, the 2018 farm bill, which is coming up again. Uh, something very passionate. I'm very passionate about. But when you go to conference, you take the Republicans and the Democrats, the Senate and the House, and you, you're supposed to hash out the differences. So I'm a conferee thinking, all right, now it's time to roll up our sleeves and we're going to have these debates and, and make these reforms. Well, it got pushed off to the committees. I was in one meeting, got to speak for three minutes. The committees worked all summer long. We came back and my chairman said, Ted, 
He goes, the, the farm bill's done. I said, I thought we were going to have committee meetings. He goes, do you really think you're going to have 60 members of the House and Senate, Republicans and Democrats, come to a consensus? He goes, this is all done by committees. I said, so I'm supposed to vote on what the committee tells me is good for my constituents. And I says, I can't do that. He goes, it's all theater anyways. I says, that's why I don't go to the theater. I said, this is something I'm elected to, but we're going to vote on something on people that aren't elected. Yeah. And that's where we the people aren't being heard. It's we the committee and the power structure in Washington are the ones coming out and says, here's your bill, vote on it. Sometimes called the administrative state, right? Great. And that's a great point because uh, Daryl Hannah wrote a book. It's called uh, The New Road to Serfdom. And he's a member of the uh, British Parliament, or was. And he goes, and I've met with him. I've talked to him. He says, America is rapidly becoming what we are. He goes, in the EU, this is before they broke up. He goes, in the EU, as members of the Parliament, we don't submit bills. We get stuff that comes out of committee, and we vote up or we vote down. We have no input into that. And he goes, you guys are coming to the same thing because of the administrative state. The administrative states are your executive branch agencies, the EPA, the um, um, Department of Energy, all these things. And the courts have ruled to give them the power by Congress allowing that power to be usurped from them and taken away. Tom and Ted, yo, in a moment, we'll be taking a break, I think. Is that right, my production uh, staff? Uh, we'll be taking a break here in a moment, so uh, uh, we'll be back in a little bit. We'll continue our conversation. Oh, both representative, always my representative, Ted Yoho. Now, <laughs> you remember we're on, uh, we'll be on wartscottfiles.com very shortly after the show, live now. Uh, we'll be, uh, of course, on Spotify, and uh, we're on YouTube Live right now. And we'll, uh, that'll be also uh, uh, put up uh, to 24-7 uh, there, as well as Apple Podcasts. So there's a lot of ways to hear us. And when you hear us, share us with your friends. Hit share and spread the word. So we'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. 
what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, let me get my little machine here to tone down its voice so you don't hear two things here. You're seeing how live works here, Ted. <laughs> Often it doesn't work all that well, right? But That's uh, what makes it exciting. It makes it exciting. You have to be able to keep all the, uh, the uh, plates spinning here. But we have got a basic story that we reported to you. That's the intense heat. Now, I, want to, I don't want to politicize this, but it's already been politicized. Uh, Biden has taken the opportunity to drum roll again that this is all due to, quote unquote, global warming, which is unfortunate because that means that you're going to be paying more for your gasoline, probably, and uh, uh, all the above that you hear from those people who tout that ideology. But there's no question but what there is intense heat. And it's been all through the central and uh, states, especially um, over 100 degrees. And in particularly in, in Europe, as reported yesterday, mm -hmm. Uh, where there are no air conditionings. And, you know, we know that uh, England is warmed uh, um, by the Gulf Stream, but not to that extent. So we've got, and then, you know, here's another story that matches, sort of contributes to the weather, is that we've got a real food problem building in Europe because of Russia uh, dominating any of the farming going on there with Ukraine, which is uh, known for its, uh, its, uh, its wheat, its agricultural products. And Putin's going to use that as a device to choke down uh, Europe to his uh, plan. As I've reported, there's a book that I reviewed with you called Putin's Plan that was um, prophecy in 2016, reality now. And, and of course, combine this with the weather, and you've got uh, a real situation going on here that is not all that pretty. You know, we have uh, our war correspondent in the field, Michael Yawn, who corresponds with me over an encrypted network, and he says there's going to be a lot of poverty in Europe. And uh, this is now not being helped by the intense heat and certainly not being helped by the behavior of Putin's Russian forces. So uh, in areas of Kansas to Texas, nevertheless, uh, the inflationary cycle, the biggest pressure on people with inflation is, of course, food. And um, that is not going to be helped by the heat. So uh, we have a degree of 106 degrees in Wichita, Kansas, uh, which is um, right up there, pretty pretty warm. Uh, you're not you don't you're not in the desert in Saudi Arabia for that temperature. So uh, we got some dangerous heat. That's the story. We've got pretty high temperatures coming in here the rest of the week, around 95 degrees or so, and plus the humidity. So be careful out there. You've got to be um, be wary and taking a lot of fluids. So we're going to return to our conversation with uh, our good buddy here, Ted Yo, who who was the representative for eight years, and he's just sent me a, uh, an article that he has, I'm going to look, pull it up right now, that he has uh, published uh, 
and I'm going to ask you about it as soon as I take a look at it. Sure, it's in the it Washington is, uh, Times. It's in the Washington Times, and it is uh, called, is it not, Prelude to World War III. Right. And the things take it that, away. Well, the things you talked about, the food, and I think this is something we as Americans are spoiled in the price of our food. Historically, we've been paying out of our discretionary income, six, uh, roughly 6.25% of the, our income goes to purchase our food. If you go to one of the foreign countries, Europe, uh, one of the uh, Southeast Asian countries, uh, you can go to Japan, you can go to uh, Korea, South Korea, when you ask them the price of their food, it goes up exponentially. They're paying 15 to 20% of the discretionary income on food. Our low price of food in this country is getting ready to drastically change, and we've already seen it. Part of that is the, um, the fuel prices, but the, what, what they did out in California where they banned the 70,000 independent truck drivers from driving and hauling produce or products from California to the West mm -hmm. Coast over here is going to drive up our price of everything. And so that's not going to be felt for another six months to a year because the production is now that those products, you know, eggs, beef, poultry, all that will be marketed and processed, you know, six months from now. And so the price of food is going to go up drastically higher. And then what you brought up with uh, Russia invading Ukraine illegally, um, with Russia and Ukraine supplying the majority of our fertilizers, mainly the ureas, and the nitrogens, and then China controlling the other portion of that. And a lot of people don't understand this, that China controls uh, the vitamins and minerals that go into our, our animal and livestock feed. And if they want to stop that spigot, uh, it's going to drastically reduce production of agriculture in this country or any other country they've, they're threatened by. And so this is a very real threat. It's something that we really need to worry about. And I wrote this editorial uh, about the prelude to World War III. Uh, when you look at what Russia did and you look at what China is doing, and China's goal, um, that's our biggest threat to not just national security but world security, uh, their goal is to become the number one hegemon in the world. They want to be the controlling interest, not just militarily, but economically. And there's a great book written by Stephen Mosier. It's called The Bully of Asia. It, it is an awesome book that tells you what their game plan is. And then Michael Pillsbury wrote a book called The Hundred Year Marathon. He was somebody that was in our government and formed government policies with China back in the Nixon era. And, and um, uh, when you read those two books, you'll understand very precisely of what China is doing. And the 100-year marathon that Mao Zedong announced in 1949, they're 70-some years into that, and they are marching right along. Everything's falling in place, and uh, we're focusing on the wrong thing. I mean, with all the world problems going on, the House spent time to bring up a bill real rapidly on gay rights marriage. Um, you know, we need to really focus on the major problems. These other things can be, I'm not saying they're not important, but they can be dealt with in a way we're supposed to if we have government by we the people. Well, you know, I was sent this book, and I've covered it on a previous show, Ted, but um, in 2016, and it was called uh, Putin's Master Plan in yeah. 2016. I didn't pay any attention to it. I thought, oh, well, here's another book for me to review. I'll get around to it. And it kind of got lost on my desk, buried in some paperwork, and I was cleaning out my desk the other day, and there it was under some papers, and I thought, man, this is kind of interesting. I'll read it. 
Well, this is 2022, and I read it. I realized, hey, these guys knew what Putin was up to in 2016. Right. They wrote the book. They published it. And now what has really made it even more opportunistic, and you alluded to it a moment ago, is Putin feels that we are so discombobulated over issues that are rather trivial in terms of world order and world basic needs like food and, and that sort of thing with our arguments about um, which bathroom to use and all that kind of business, real serious time taken up on this, that ain't nobody going to stop him if he wants to march across Europe. And he's doing it. Yeah. You know, when, when Trump won the election in 2016, Congress pretty much shut down. The Democrats' whole focus was on Russia collusion and the Trump campaign. Three and a half years later, Mueller, the person that they approved of, the Democrats, said there was no collusion. But for three and a half years, there was the impeachment trials and all this stuff going on. In the meantime, Putin is focused on what he's doing. What's scarier is Xi Jinping in 2017 at the 19th Chinese Communist Party Congress made a very bold statement. He said that the era of China has arrived. No longer will we be made to swallow our interests around the world. It's time for us to take the world center stage. Now, that's rhetoric, but if you back that up by action of what they're doing in the South China Sea, um, building islands, uh, destroying over 4,500 acres of coral reef, militarizing those islands, and then putting the pressure on South Korea, putting pressure on Japan, putting pressure on Taiwan. Uh, in my article um, in the social media that's approved by the Chinese Communist Party, said that somebody, sh uh, they, they celebrated uh, Prime Minister Abe of Japan being assassinated, and then they recommended that somebody should take a knife and stab to death President Tsai Ing-wing of, of Taiwan. And that wouldn't stay up if the Communist Party didn't want it up. They'll take down anything that's bashing the government, but if it's something they can use to foment that discord, they're going to do it, and they are doing it. And so this is stuff that we really, really need to pay attention to, and that's where the focus of our legislators ought to be because their number one job is to protect our national security, period. You know, and it's they're not doing it. You know, it's we weren't doing it when I was there, even you know, as hard as we fought to get that done. It's amazing how much we're on the same page. i got to tell you a funny story. Um, do you remember who River Phoenix was? Yeah. Well, pardon me while I tell this tale, but River Phoenix, um, one time I had an apartment, and I had some uh, an application from a girl who mm -hmm. said that she wanted to rent it. It was a very young-sounding voice, so I went through all my <clears throat> disguised, uh, <laughs> you know, examination of the maturity of the individual. And, you know, she your flunked investigation. On, yeah, my investigation. She, and she flunked on every box. Here's what I ask. Uh, who will you be living here with? Oh, my boyfriend. Oh, my God, that's a negative. Um, what do you do? Oh, we're in a band. Oh, my God, that's a negative. Uh, so I had all these negatives, Tammy. And my production girl's looking, laughing. And so I said, boy, i got to figure out a way to forestall this. I can't do this. So I brought the lease, and I expanded all sorts of sections in it to, to make it ominous. And, and, you know, you can't this and thou shalt not that. And it didn't deter them in the least. And they said, oh, we're fine. So uh, we'd like to meet you. We, and I said, oh, okay, I can't get out of this, you know. So I went and met him. And it was a young-looking fellow and a young-looking girl, sure enough. And, and uh, they said, oh, we've read over the lease. We're fine with it. And I said, well, now here's the money, first and last and damage and everything. It was a check. So I took it. I said, boy, I'm going to run this check right down to the bank right now. <laughs> 
and I ran it down to the Definitely bank. before Venmo. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it was way back, you know, when. It was a while back. And so I put the check in the drawer, and I heard the voice, even through the bulletproof glass, I heard the young lady say, River Phoenix! And the band was River Phoenix Band, uh-huh. and it was River Phoenix, and he was the most polite yep. kid. And what I would do is he wanted to insist, he insisted on giving me the rent in person every month, and we would meet downtown in front of one of the sidewalk cafes, and he would ride up on his bicycle. And he was starved for conversation because he'd been raised in Hollywood. He'd never gone to school or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. He found out I was a teacher, so he picked my brain about what was I thinking about, and we'd have long, long talks, you know. I remember one day at the end of talking with him, he looked at me in all seriousness, Ted, and said, why aren't you president? (laughs) (laughs) He was serious. And I said, "Um, River, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, here we are talking. Yeah. Um, I've not been to Congress. I'm not, but we're on the same page. Why ain't one of us president? Right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way. It's interesting you brought him up because his mother came in. She was a, a strong advocate for certain issues yeah. and just as pleasant and oh, yeah. nice as she could be. And uh, had a lot of respect for her and her family. One time we were in a restaurant and the whole family came in. Oh, is that right? Oh, my golly. You would, you know, they were colorful, let's put it that way, in the way they dressed and, and a free spirit. So free, to speak. I was going to say free spirit. Yeah, and uh, River came over to uh, say hello and introduce everybody, and uh, you know you knew right away that they uh, they were approaching life uh, creatively. They were, there. and you know that's yeah. the beauty of America because you know we got along. Yeah, I mean yeah, we, yeah. and and that's the that's what's missing today, and it's, we're getting further and further away from it because if you don't agree with me, you know if you say something against homosexuality. You know, you're a bigot, you're this and that, you're a transphobic. And the comeback I heard said, well, then you must be heterophobic. You know, you're afraid of that. <laughs> okay. And it's, you know, we've lost that ability to accept people where they're at. You know, you know, I wish you the best of life. It's just not for me, but don't hold that against me. I'll always remember that story, though. And, and No, that's it, a great story. It's it fantastic. And the point I took away from it was um, how many more River Phoenixes are out there who or not, you know, of course, River had special talents and, um, you know, was able to get along in the world, except he was his own destructive device, as you will. But um, there had to be an awful lot, many, many more p- kids like him. Oh, sure. Who, who were hungry to get, for lack of a better word, an honest story, you know, mm-hmm. without any, uh, I wasn't trying to persuade him to be a member of this party or that party or vote a certain way. I was really just teaching, you know, and I was saying, here are the issues as a young guy that you'll hear uh, supported this way and supported this way. And, you know, the, the biggest problem I hear all the time, Ted, and I heard this from Senator Don Fuqua, congressman, I guess he was a congressman. Yeah. Um, and he's, uh, he eats lunch with us once in a while uh, in our little group we have. There's no more reaching across the aisle. You know, you, you bring that up, and I go to D.C. twice a month, <clears throat> roughly came across one of the Capitol Hill policemen. He came out and stopped me on the road. I was walking, and we had a good conversation. He says, Ted, he goes, you just wouldn't believe it up here compared to when you were here. 
He goes, it has become so much more toxic. He goes, people won't talk to each other. There's a lot of yelling at each other in the hallways. And he goes, this whole mood is, is very bad. He goes, we're down 500 Capitol Hill policemen. They've either taken early retirement, they've quit. He goes, when we try to hire people, they'll be here for maybe a week and they quit. They just don't like this environment. That's how bad it's gotten in the two years since I've left. And people thought it was bad when I went up there because of, you know, my stance I took on things. But they said, you're calm compared to what was here, what's here now. Well, you went up as a gentleman, you know. I went up on a time period, too, and, there's, yeah, you know, we yeah. didn't have time to play. But, you know, I've been talking about this for quite a while because um, one of the things that uh, uh, we teach in the college is we teach the great literature of the country. And the great literature primarily came from the South, um, as Faulkner and these people tried to tell the story that wasn't politically told mm -hmm. and created Nobel Prizes and all these sort of things. And, um, you know, one of the things that you, you try to do is um, correct the narrative. Oh, because yeah. we know Obama deliberately hired narrative writers, if you will. Sure. And farmed it out to a compliant press. Yeah. And then censored anything that refuted the narrative. And that's never gone away that I can see. It's gotten even worse. It's gotten worse. It's You're gotten absolutely worse. right. Well, go back to when, uh, and this is one of the impetuses that got me to run for Congress when President Obama says five days before his inauguration, and this is going to be a large part of my show that I, I'm starting, and um, you know, I'll let you know more about that. It starts Friday on Parlor. When he said that we are five days from fundamentally transforming America, it scared the daylights out of me because I'm like, America's, it's an imperfect country because there's people like me in it, but it's the best thing on the planet as far as opportunity. You know, it guarantees equal opportunity for all. It doesn't guarantee equal outcome. If it did, I could hit a golf ball like Tiger Woods or, or shoot a basket like Michael Jordan. I can't do that. But I have the opportunity to strive and become the best at what I can. And when he said that we're going to fundamentally transform America, I'm thinking, into what? Well, what we're seeing today, people blame on Biden, but it's really the Obama agenda to fundamentally transform America. Look at the cabinet that Biden has compared to uh, President Obama. The transformation is happening in front of us, and it's how much more do you want? You know, I think it's time that we come back to the basic principles this country is founded on. And if you want to change something that's unconstitutional, change it through the amendment yeah. process. Yeah. But don't write Why executive orders. Why would the president orders. get up there and bash the Supreme Court? Why doesn't he? He's playing to his base. I know he does. I know the answer is rhetorical and it's, it's, question. It's but shameless. It's, it's absolutely treasonable. It, really it is treasonable. Is. It really is when you think about that. And, you know, President Obama says you didn't build your business right, board. Right. The government did. And yeah. I'm thinking, what you And, you know, it's, uh, I've been saying this for a while. It wasn't called the congressional record then. It was called something else before. Register. Register. Yeah. If you go back and read those arguments before the Civil War, yeah. it's just about like that now. It is. The History same repeats itself. thing is just about the absolutely unresolvable difference by, ur I don't know how you break it down. We did it a minute ago, urban or rural or right. abstract and, con you know, but it's there. 
Well, that's human nature. And I mean, yeah. that's been the play. But for the throughout. leaders to exacerbate it. That's well, the really leaders, that's, they should be above that fray. Yeah. But they have a political agenda. And they're, make, no, make no mistake about it. Their agenda is to bring down America as a capitalist country and replace it with a form of socialism, Marxist socialism. Their utopia that they're painting to people, free education, free health care, everything like that, is in reality Hugo Chavez's or Nicolas Maduro's Venezuela. That was the most prosperous country in South oh, America. Golly, you know. And now it's a socialist, dictatorial uh, type of country. And that's what our left is taking us to. And I am for one that says, no way. Well, you know, we talked about Putin. He's been down in South America, yeah. currying favor with them. He's headed over to the, the Middle East to curry favor with them. Sure. To Iran to curry favor with them. And we've talked about this before. Will we take a, will we take a stand on Taiwan? I mean, we know what they're doing. They're building a navy. They're going out there and building islands. Um, they're basically landlocked until they get past that area. And uh, what are we going to do on that? And you've been on these uh, committees, and you've heard these conversations. And and I, I'm just concerned that there's so much selfishness in terms of the, you know, protecting one's power base rather than thinking about what's good for the country. Right. And... There are several things you hit on there. I, I've met with President Tsai. I've had dinner with her four different times. Um, I have met with the Chinese defense ministers, their foreign policy ministers. Those are very heated conversations. And make no mistake about it, they are willing to take over and shed bloodshed over Taiwan. And if you think about it, if there's an attack on one Western-style democracy, there's an attack on all of us. And we're seeing Western democracies kind of fade. And it's a weakening of that style of government. And China and Putin and Iran are going to play into this, and they're going to help weaken that. If a Western-style democracy like America fails, where's that safe haven in the world? There will be none. And that's the thing that people really need to wake up, and that goes back to what you were saying. Our leaders should be protecting that. You know, it's an imperfect system, again, because people like me are in it. But we can... We've gotten better over the years. If you look where we started and where we are today, it's so much better. But we're not focusing on the next generations. When I went up to Congress, I don't know if I shared this with you, one of the things I ran on was saying Washington lacks leadership and a vision, and a vision where this country is going to be 25 to 50 years from now. And when I asked John Boehner my first, it was in January, I said, what's our long-term vision? He goes, what are you talking about, Ted? <laughs> and I oh, says, God. five to ten years down the road. Didn't have one. He goes, that's life. That's a light years ahead. That's a lifetime away in politics. He goes, our long-term vision September. This is January. I said, September? Why September? He goes, well, we've got to fund the budget, the government. And I'm thinking, you know, it's like driving your car and looking at the front of the car driving down the road. You're all over. And that's what's wrong with Washington. They are not looking where we're going to be 20, 25, 50 years down the road. Where's education going to be? Where, where's health care? Where's our national security? All the, our debt. Where are these things going to be? And who's paying attention to those? And you brought that up. They're more worried about the next election. And a politician, their concern is the next election. A statesman, and we've gotten away from them, a statesman's concern is the next generation's. Got a note here coming in from one of our top fans. Uh, who's buying up American farms and food production? CCP? They're buying a lot, and they bought that. Uh, the, the disturbing thing is they bought that land up in North Dakota 
right next door, one of our top drone manufacturer, highly secure place. And they bought a farm or some land right there. They're going to put in a manufacturing facility. But the CCP has bought land all over the United States. Tell the people who the CCP is. The CCP is the Chinese Communist Party. And if it's a Chinese business, they're not doing business in America unless they have the blessings of the um, Chinese Communist Party. There's a good documentary, and it's called American Factory, and it was put out by Barack and Michelle Obama. I watched it, and it's very accurate in what they did. They bought a glass company in Dayton, Ohio, for cars. And they go through the whole um, um, building of the business and how they brought Chinese workers over, and it was supposed to be American uh, managers. But after a period of time, it became Chinese communist, Chinese um, managers. But each one of those had to be a member of the Communist Party. And so that's what's happening all throughout America. And um, the Chinese bought Smithfield Farms, which Smithfield Farm is the largest pork producer in America, and they control the market. And uh, it's interesting because Smithfield Farms had a processing plant in California and in Oregon, and they've shut them both down. They shut the one in California, but there are talks of shutting the one down in Oregon because of the work environment, they can't do business in those two states. And they're heavily Democratic-controlled states. And um, they're moving out. And if the Communist Party's moving out, I mean, that tells you something about California and, and the politics out there. But it's scary that they control the pork market in this country. Man, good comment by one of the top fans uh, watching the show and sent that question in for us. What about the CCP and our, and our uh, actually buying America, basically, if you want to say it that way? We can't buy them. Um, no, you can't buy. You can't yeah, buy over there. You can't buy them. Been talking with Congressman uh, Ted Yoho here for a delightful discussion, and uh, hopefully you've been um, um, getting a little bit of uh, insight into some things you might normally not have heard us talk about. But um, you're the ones who are going to have to be responsible for the country. Uh, you're going to have to vote properly and get yourself educated and know what the issues are and uh, try to find a reliable source of information. And also learn to research and document and evaluate the quality of the uh, documentation. You know, when I was writing the research, uh, teaching the research class, I figured out how to really keep these kids from plagiarizing, which is so easy to do now because everything's on the Internet. You obviously didn't have Joe Biden as a student. No, heck, no, we didn't have Biden. That guy cheated his way through life. But, but uh, I don't mince any words. Oh, God, oh man. But, but anyway, uh, you know, I learned that. Okay, first of all, I want to see your works consulted. They would turn in uh, what they consulted. Of course, I'll evaluate that to see the quality of that. And then after a while, I said, okay, I want to see you write the paper from uh, what you selected as your work site. In other words, you call out of there what's relative, and I could grade that process to see if it was truly in-depth. And then, of course, their thoughts had to be a product of what they researched. It was a wonderful mechanism. And... It, and then one of the things I learned, uh, I, you know, you, te- you learn as much from the students if you do it right. I had this excellent paper written um, by a young man who, who uh, he was arguing that the, uh, and what it was back then was there was a landfill site that was going to be placed in Archer. Mm-hmm. And he reasoned that that's not the place to put it. You know, you need to put it over here, but they weren't going to put it over there, and he couldn't get any straight answers, so... He advocated it go to a place that the county had not decided to put it. 
And I graded the essay, and I said, man, that's great. And he said, well, if it's so good, how come it's not being accepted? And I said, because the, it's, it's time is not right. And I learned, I learned you can have a great conclusion, but people just aren't ready for it. Right. They just can't accept it. And, and so timing, uh, 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 Shakespeare has a line where he says, and you'll, he's alluding to fruit dropping from a tree, ripeness is all. It doesn't fall until it's ripe. That's right. President so, Lincoln had that in his rules for leadership. And if you want to get something done, if you don't have the public sentiment with you, you can't get anything done. If you have it with them, you can't, there's nothing you can't do. Well, and, we're about out of time here on the Wards God Files, and we appreciate you checking us out. Uh, we'll be up on thewardsgodfiles.com in a moment with this show. And then we, of course, will be out on the, uh, the um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and uh, all the various networks. So uh, you can uh, share it and see it 24-7, 365, and it'll be archived in the thewardsgodfiles.com library, believe it or not, of, of shows that we've done in the past all the way up to date. Uh, Ted, thanks for us for coming by. Sure. Uh, thanks for much to our production for helping us out. Had a great job today, and um, we'll be back, hopefully, if the uh, uh, creeks don't rise, as we used to say in the country, <laughs> you know. Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise, right. we'll be back soon. Uh, tomorrow, we actually have Dance Alive National Ballet with you to bring you up to date Good on group. what's happening with our group and our emphasis on the arts, which we think helps civilize the society. Take care now. Warthog Command Center out.